Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, another fantastic woman in sales. I have the pleasure of speaking with Lori Dunn. How are you, Lori? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Let me tell you a little bit more about Lori. She's a recognized leader in climate sales and growth. She consults with early stage climate tech startups on their go-to-market strategies. She has worked with established companies and franchises to manage and reduce electric costs with smart energy platforms and demand response. She's the winner of a Factor 8 award in sales leadership. Lori has a passion for developing and mentoring revenue talent. During her service as a Peace Corps volunteer, she secured an $8 million grant to spur economic development for her host community. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts from California State University and a Master's in Sustainability and Mergers and Acquisitions in Conflict from the Heller School of Business. Wow, that is amazing. You are such a a rock star powerhouse, Lori. How did you get started going to the Peace Corps and now all the way in the C-suite of this organization? Yeah, I started out, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. That was what I was doing at Cal State Fullerton. I wanted to teach theater to kiddos in high school. I realized I did not want to do that. And I had my degree and I stupidly thought that you had to do something else. I didn't think of sales as an option. I was like, I have to get a master's to do something else. Otherwise I can't get a job. So I joined the Peace Corps and I used that to develop quite a few different skill sets, but definitely allowed me to explore I was in a post-conflict setting and I was really worried I was going to cause harm because I was learning the language. And in this post-conflict, you know, people kept telling, explaining what had happened in the war. And I kept saying, why? Like, why? Why did this happen? But I didn't have the language to use there. So I would spend any time I could go to the internet cafe back when we had to go to internet cafes. uh, I'd go, you know, give them my dollars. I could use it for an hour and I would research language in conflict and how to not cause harm. And I learned this woman, Dr. Mari Fitstuff, who is the creator of the conflict field, as it were, the more professionalized version of it. She was pivotal in solving the Northern Ireland conflict. And I translated all of that into the language I was speaking when I was serving as a volunteer and tried to use that to help me understand and kind of integrate into this community as best I could as an outsider building no business development and language, teaching English language. And then that turned into Dr. Mari Fitzduff created the conflict program at the Heller School of Brandeis. So I was lucky enough to go and learn directly from her, which got me reading, getting to yes, Um, (laughs) all of these other sales things that we all know now, like any of the books that everyone has all read. I read those all. That was part of my grad school work because Mm -hmm. I was dealing with different kind of conflict, not sales objections, but post-war or pre-war objections Mm -hmm. and dealing there. And then when I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do now? I wasn't really into the direct line of the degree made for me. So I just started searching around and trying to figure out what am I going to do? Like, where am I going to go? I'm living in Boston right now. And I was, okay, how I'm going to go to all these events. Why not? And I'm going to start seeing like, do people like their jobs? Is that interesting to them? Where can I move that? And I went to my first sales event and Lori Richardson was in the audience. And I went up and spoke to her. Absolutely lovely, as we all know, one of our co-authors in our book. And she said, she was like, you should come to this event next week. I was like, okay. And I went the next week and I showed up and she said, you came. I was like, yeah, I said, you should be in sales. I thought you should be in sales. I want to make sure you showed up that you were still interested in it. You should be in sales. 
And the rest is kind of history. I'm still a big social justice kind of person, which got me, that's what pivoted me towards that energy sector and this climate side of life and really hyper-focused on, I love my customers. I really love my customers. I love solving these problems. It's that social good. So while it seems a little bit weaving in my head, it's pretty much a straight line in the value that I bring. I love your story so much because you took something that you were passionate about and really pivoted and got into a sales career with the help of mentors and allies and people saying, this is what you should do. This is what you're good at. So when you were in the Peace Corps, what are some of the core lessons that you learned that you're able to translate into the work that you do today? Oh God, so much because I lived in a beautiful little town called Gach. It was on top of mountains in the Caucasus and I was the only volunteer in that area. So just think of show up to a conference, show up to a networking event, anything, you're completely alone. It's kind of a sink or swim mentality. So how do you Mm. intrigue, engage, delight the customer, your prospect in a way? How do you add value in this conversation? We only have them for a minute. And whether they want to use your product, your service or not, you want to make sure they leave having been better for speaking to you. I guess you don't, not every single conversation needs to be that way, but I do like to aim for some kind of relationship in that regard. So being there taught me that learning the language of your prospect being important. I obviously am talking physically, learning a language other than English to speak it. But when right now I'm talking, you know, sustainability managers, fleet managers, things like that, the way they speak about their needs and their goals is wildly different than the things can be wildly different than me, than maybe your goals. So it's how to speak that language to make sure I'm adding the right value. Otherwise, we're just like, hey, how are you? You know, checking groceries out, stuff like that. Like, hey, and that's good. That's completely good and fine. You can have those relationships as well. But when you're coming into a selling environment, being a bit more targeted, it's how do you focus your efforts in the right way? It's cuddle up with your customer, learn their language, learn what matters to them. And that competence, confidence, little cluster A lot of people try to say confidence. I think it's mostly competence. You got to build your competence before you wreck your confidence. Um, Having that was really useful. But I also really lucky because I was doing theater stuff beforehand. Like confidence through the roof. I mean, after, after you go through school where people are looking at you and picking apart every single thing about the way you look, the way you sound, the way you walk, the way you emote, all of that, it's really easy to just be pretty comfortable in your skin. Hmm. I want to tap into something that you said. You said competence over confidence. Let's unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? What is competence over confidence? Yeah, competence is, as we all know, it's the ability to do the job. If I am competent in algebra, I can probably go in and ace a test. If I'm feeling a little nervous about it, maybe I'll get like 80%. But if I know my stuff, I'm still going to do well. May not be the best in the room, but I'm going to do pretty well. If I have no competence and only confidence, uh, you know, 30%, 50% of the game, right? I can finish that test because the odds are, if it's, you know, a multiple choice test, the odds are I'll probably hit some. If I completely lack confidence and I have no competence, I'm bottom of the barrel here, right? Because I'm built on nothing. And so a lot of people who are early in their careers And they just, they feel like they have to meet up to some of the people that they see that either they're learning from their leaders 
direct managers and the like, or they come on LinkedIn and there's so much noise out there. So many people with so many opinions telling you, this is the way to do it, do that. And they're like, and they're just getting started. You know, they don't even know where the phone number is going to come and where they're calling from. So there's a lack of competence and then a confidence comes into play there. So I like to focus on like build that competence, because like I said, if you have neither, you're down at zero percent. You have no competence, but confidence, 30 to 50 percent. If you have competence, no confidence, closer to 80 percent. And if you've got both, we're talking 100 plus. So I like to focus on building that competency and that focus. I mean, I'm sick into my new job. Let's talk about what I'm doing. Whew. I'm working <laughs> on building my competence before I allow it to wreck my confidence. I know I can do this. I know I'm supposed to be learning. But if you compare me right now to anyone else on my team, I have no idea what we do. <laughs> I know very well what we do, but compared to them, because they've been doing this for over a year, they're so, I mean, my team's great, but it's, it's understanding where you are and just being kind on yourself and not letting that confidence come into play. Mm, that was a, a really wonderful unpacking of the, the confidence and the confidence. And I do think that many times in sales as women, we are so focused on being so competent and we don't realize that we have to balance the confidence piece. We feel like we have to check every single box in order to say, yep, I'm 100% confident. And now, okay, let me let my confidence catch up. And what we have is like, there's this huge disconnect, right? Because we're trying to build this strong skill set and we're not confident in what we know yet. So as a woman in sales, have you ever experienced that phenomenon? Of course. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, how do I compete with this? And then I've had a direct manager actually fly, remote worker fly to Boston to come with me on some in-person interviews and totally terrified about it, completely destroyed the call. Got so nervous, got so in my head. I missed the entire disco. I was focused on me. I wasn't focused on them. And I, I botched it. I didn't, it did not go well. I did not go move forward with that person. And it was so embarrassing doing it in front of this leader, this like storied leader. And, you know, we got in the car and we're driving away and he was like playing on his phone, doing something. And he could just feel the energy. And he's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm just beating myself up. Give me a minute. He's like, hey, hey, hey stop that. Don't beat yourself up. You're learning. This is new. I was like, oh, okay. It's like, it's really hard when you're in these rooms. I've been very lucky that I am in rooms with very smart people. And it's really hard to say like, you're not there yet, but you will be. Give it a minute. Go ahead and learn. And, you know, the comparison, it's Women in Sales Month. So the comparison when you're in a room and you're one of the only women to want to, like, prove on behalf of all women. It's like, eh, all women don't need you to do that. <laughs> all women need you to breathe and take your time. And then you'll get there. So there's that dichotomy that I play with sometimes. I'm pretty lucky in that I've rarely lacked confidence uh, for good or bad that isn't there. So I think that's why I'm able to say stuff like focus on that competency. Because a lot of people that I mentor and coach ask me a lot, like, how are you so confident? I'm like, I don't know. In terms of like what you're asking me to answer, I don't know. Do I know why? Yeah, like I'm, I'm like super awesome. Like that's why I'm so confident. But where does that come from? I'm not sure. Let's focus on your competency to account for what I'm seeing as a lack of confidence. And then we'll get you there. So that's where that framework kind of comes from of me being like, I'm not quite sure about that, but I know that feeling, that bubbling, I don't want to make a fool of myself. Mm -hmm. I get that. But after that one leader saw me in the car and was like, you need to stop that. I was like, oh, 
oh, and something just kind of clicked of like, we don't need to, we don't need to behave like that to ourselves anymore. For me, I know that I always felt competent and I always had confidence. There was one point in my career where I didn't have that confidence. I knew I was competent, but I didn't have that confidence. And it was 100% due to poor leadership. It was a bad boss telling me that, no, 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 stay quiet. Your ideas are not okay. But then you turn around and and I'm like, but I thought that's what we talked about last week. Why is that your idea now? That (laughs) for me is the one time in my career where I didn't have that confidence and I can directly relate that to poor leadership. And so as people in sales, as direct frontline managers, I do think that is absolutely 100% important for us to see each and every person on our team as an individual and give them what they need to develop them, right? Like you were saying, somebody's like, okay, so how I want to be just like you. Like, how do I be just like you? And you're like, well, that's not what we need to do. I want you to be your best self. That's what I need. How did you break out of that place of a lack of confidence? Did you just realize you were in the wrong place? Were you able to silence the negativity from that leader? Like what steps did you take? So in 100% transparency, I went to therapy. Like I actually had to go seek professional help because I was like, okay, what's wrong with me? I've always been so good. Like I always prided myself at knowing my job so very, very well. And so I had to literally seek professional help and I had an amazing therapist and she was like, okay, so Wesleyan, you're in a toxic environment. This is not a good place for you. There's not a problem with you. This is not the place you need to work. And so that's literally how I was able to break free and get out of that place because again, it was a toxic worst place. Yeah. I mean, good for you for doing that. Also major shout out mental health day. There we go. Mm -hmm. Mental health day talking therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Therapists are really good at helping you realize what's is, is that a me problem or not? Yes. I swear when sometimes they find out like, no, you're just in the wrong place. You got to remove yourself. I'm like, okay. And every now and then they're like, no, you're the problem. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> therapy gives you both. Sometimes Sometimes they yes. help you out in ways that you don't want it. You'll be sitting there and you're like, well, I don't think that's really what I wanted to hear. Can we move on to the next topic? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, again, on this topic, I firmly believe that especially as leaders, there's a lot of stuff that we carry and we don't always, you don't want to talk to your employees. You might not be able to talk to your colleagues or your boss about it. And whether it's personal, professional, really seeking professional help and saying, I just need somebody to talk to. Right. And like, I am such a big proponent of it. Like I think that, and one of the best things that I think I realized, or even in talking to my therapist, every therapist has a therapist. So every coach needs a coach. Every leader needs somebody to help them lead, right? And so if you have that each one teach one, we all need somebody mentality, that's really what helps you unlock when you're in a place of this doesn't feel good. This feels a little bit icky. Yeah. I work in a lot of small startups. I like the small. I'm more of a Swiss army knife type of gal, not a specialty knife, you know? And one of the things I ask when I speak to founders, I'm like, who's your coach? Like, I want to know, because I'm, I'm also looking for, you know, either executive coaching or what, you know, whatever the, the rule is, like whatever professional development budget I want to access. But I do ask my leaders because that shows me that they value that in the same way. And I know like, okay, here we are. And some have told me like, I don't have an executive coach. I have a therapist. And some say I have an executive coach and a therapist. I'm like, cool. Good to know. I just like to know the value set that's there. Kind of like any startup that says, 
we have unlimited vacation days. I'm like, great, when was the last time you took a vacation? If I'm talking to you in August, it's been eight months. You haven't taken a vacation. It's not unlimited. Like, let's talk. We're not even talking two weeks here. Like, you haven't taken time. So, yeah, I do ask about that coaching in particular. Hmm. I, that's a really good question. I think that people can ask when they're evaluating companies because when you're looking for a job, yes, they want you, but you also need to have a very good open view to see like, okay, what type of organization is this? Yeah. And asking that question, it helps you understand how much they value developing their people and how much they actually invest in the actual human beings that are working there. Yes. And who doesn't want someone who values them, right? Like that's what we want, especially, I mean, look at all these layoffs. We're seeing them happen. Like it's not letting up. Like I at least want to know when I'm going in someplace that there's a value set here because everything is so finite, you know, and so movable. Like let's double check a few things. It's not just who's hit quota. That's important, but it's not just that. Yeah. I want to know what you're doing as a leader to better yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So you went from Peace Corps yeah. into sales. Yeah. Tell us about your journey from individual contributor to being a frontline leader. What were those initial days like as a brand new sales manager? It's interesting. Definitely the pivot. I don't lead a huge, like a huge sales force. Like we're, I'm going for a funding round. I'll be building a sales force. So we're talking more of the entire team, as it were. And I think it's more of being a beacon for what you see for that growth. You know, a lot of revenue folks, because we are, we're out there, we're talking on LinkedIn, we're talking to customers, we're out there kind of like the face of the company kind of thing. It's also important to realize what that does internally and learning your, I find that the team is also my prospects. Like I need to make sure, I need to learn so much from you. I always say cuddle up with your customer. So cuddle up with your team. Like what are they building? What are they working on? What's important to them? Because I do get a front row seat to the customer, which not all of them do. So it's really cool to be able to say, hey, here's what people are saying about this solution. I want you to know this thing you've been working on for six months that you normally only get calls when something breaks. I want you to hear, I call it the warm fuzzies. It's on our weekly meeting. Everyone, they talk about their wins and all that. And I just have a little section like, warm fuzzies. And I put like whenever customers say really awesome things about the product, because this team has been, most of the teams I've been on, they've been working really hard building something that's going to make a difference. So it's really nice to be that person in between and just continuing to highlight here, we're going to use this and drive forward because of you. Thank you for your help. Let's keep going. And it's also easier when then you ask for some kind of deliverable or thing of folks. It's like, when this is delivered, like you're going to hear the exact value right back at you. So I'm also I'm making it really easy that these things I'm asking for will immediately have a return for you. Mm, that's so good. And like having one ear to the customer and one ear to your team and then being able to like meet in the middle. And so a lot of times what doesn't happen is as leaders, we don't take that time to not only focus on the numbers and, and hitting those KPIs or, or whatever you have to hit, it's like all of the small things that led to the sale, right? When I'm working with sales leaders and their teams, I'm like, okay, so in our weekly meeting, I need you to highlight someone who's not in sales. Like yeah. who on the team actually impacted us this week? Was it a quotes person? Was it a customer success person? Like let's highlight somebody else. And then I want you to start making your team do that. 
So have them think about that moment, the thing that happened that week where they can just have just a moment of thank you for your help, right? Because we all contributed to the success. Although yes, I'm the frontline salesperson and maybe I get the credit for it. Like there's so many other people that are doing all of these amazing things to help us achieve our goals. Absolutely. You don't do it alone. You never do, right? Like we could argue back and forth, like an org can't exist without sales. Great. But you also can't exist without product because you have nothing to sell. <laughs> like we can go yes. back and forth and saying like chicken and egg, but everyone here is making that success happen. So mm-hmm. highlighting each person and showing that value back is just, I could spend all day just focusing on all the positives. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. There's so much to highlight that people usually take for granted. And I, I'd love to be that beacon for that positivity within organizations. How did you tap into such a high level of positivity, knowing that sales is so volatile and we win deals, we lose deals, we have upset managers, we have all of these things. How did you really tap into that positivity? Well, my worth isn't associated with what happens on every call. So that's the first, like it is volatile. And I find you have a really hard time. The highs and lows happen when things are signed and not signed, when people curse at you and hang up on calls, stuff like that. I had um, a gal that I mentor ask me, she's like, we're having a really hard time with not interested click on calls. And she's like, what can we do in that split second? I was like, oh, you can't. They've already, they can hear the commission breath and they've already decided you're slimy salespeople were hanging up on you. And I know you and I both agree, like we both thought sales was kind of dirty and slimy word. And then we were like, no, it's not though. Like it doesn't have to be. So when you get to that moment, realize, oh, if I'm losing it at not interested click, I need to take 12 steps back. And my intention of ringing that phone wasn't well aligned because if it's commission breathy, if it's any of that from the get go, from my hello, I've already goofed something up. So how do I come really to help the person, right? Our job as salespeople is like as nice as we want to fluff it up. Our job is to interrupt people's days. That's our job, Mm -hmm. right? Because things wouldn't change if we didn't interrupt people's days. We'd still be using stone tablets, right? Someone had to build something. We found it was different. Someone had to tell them about it. And that's our job is to interrupt their day. Your job is to do that in a way that adds value and drives value for the prospect and hopefully your customer. So... If you're getting not interested, click, go all the way back, rework everything and figure out what got us to this place. Is it, are we back at competency confidence? Are we back at that play? Are we back at maybe you don't actually know your personas well enough. You've done the work on your ICP, but who's my persona? Who am I really talking to in here? If I don't actually know and speak their language, I feel like we're full circling this whole conversation. Um, If I don't speak their language, then how am I ever going to get to a place where they would understand me that interrupting their day on this phone is worth it? So yeah, you take that step back and just understand the intention and then you drive. I forget what you asked me. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. This is just a whole, and so I'm just so mesmerized in listening to you because everything that you said is really a part of my core philosophies. It is we drive behavior to impact change, right? It's not about the end result of, oh, they just hung up the phone. It's like, let's take five steps back and figure out what led to them just hanging up the phone and why you're coming to me because you're coming to me because it has affected you. You're not coming to me because you're okay with that. And let's completely unpack and peel back the onion 
And that is literally how we impact change. And the question that I asked you was, how do you really step into this place of positivity and oh. always having it for, at least for me, it seems like you have a glass half full mentality and you completely answered it all the way. Okay, good. Yeah, I am. I'm a glass half full kind of gal. I can skew a bit more of the realist side of stuff, but in that realism, I kind of realize, I'm like, yeah, but stuff gets really hard sometimes. So I'm pretty grateful when the sun's shining. I'm just so happy it's there because I know the darkness is going to set in. So I just try to take advantage of that and hyper focus on that. And I, not everyone can do that mm-hmm. either chemically, biologically, just how they were raised, whatever that is. And I'm really lucky that those things don't affect me. So I really try to focus on that. And hopefully in a way that isn't dismissive of like, if you are having a hard time, I'm not like, no, be positive. I don't do that to you. No toxic positivity. Mm. It's like, oh, that's really hard. How can I help here? Okay. Right. There's a time and a place for complaining. Get that out. Mm. Get that out of you so it doesn't fester. But now what are we going to do about it? Mm. Yeah, That's good. Share with us a time in your career that it was difficult for you to be a woman in sales. All the time. Yeah. When you don't know if the prospect is talking to you because of you or because you're a woman or because of the value you add, like that, I think is the hardest for me. We could talk through like what happens internal culture, you know, small little microaggressions on sexism and things at play. We could talk about that for days, but I think the hardest actually taps in when you're alone with that customer. And you're trying, you're like, I have a job to do. I'm here to do this thing. And there is something about personalities and communication and understanding. And when your spidey sense goes up, right? Most of our intuition is usually right. And you're like, hmm, what do I do here? What do I do in this moment? Am I going to lead the sale this way? Or am I going to pull it back and say, hey, this one's not for our company or it's not for me. Hey, I'm going to tap somebody else in. I've been on a few calls where I'm like, what keeps happening? Like I had a few weeks there where it just, it was constant and I was getting kind of fearful of going back on calls. And I, I talked to a mentor and he was like, yeah, he's like, you can always bring in and mention my male leader. It's like, you bring him in. I was like, what does that look like now? What does that look like now that your sales leader can't be alone on sales calls anymore? And so I had to grapple with that thought that I think is something that is a very uniquely female thought. Of like, can I be this person I want to be? Like, is this, are my prospects in society actually going to allow me in that space? So that part is really hard and it still happens. It's just a different understanding now of now I know how bad that felt in those. So I'm very quick drama guy. <laughs> like, hey, 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 let's be nice. Let's not, and you know, like be kind, be generous to folks, but just set that clear boundary so you can continue the sale and then it moves forward if it's going to yes or no. As opposed to letting it linger and second guessing myself a little bit. Yeah, I can remember when I was uh, younger in sales and going on sales calls with my manager, who was a, a guy, and the prospects only looking at him. No matter what, like even if I'm talking, like you're not making eye contact with me. You're only looking at my manager, and my manager keeps deferring to me, but you're only looking at the manager. And then there's no follow ups because so for me. Because of my name, some people don't know if I'm a woman or a man. So oh. we can correspond completely through email. And there then when I show up, they're like, they're like, who's this? Are, are you, who are you? And like the communication would completely stop. And you're like, wow, 
what did I do? Like all of this that I've done and put into this deal and it just completely falls apart and it's completely out of your control. And I know for me, I had to realize that I can only do what I can do. And there are things that are completely outside of my control and I just have to let them go. And even to this day within our organization, we say not all business is good business. Like we don't need to work with everyone. And if there's no respect, if there's like, I'm good. Like, I don't, my bills don't have to get paid like that. (laughs) I'm okay. Yeah. And it's fine. Like if I, you know, in person, I know how to handle it. Right. Like we all, Mm -hmm. we all grew up, you know, we've all been out in public. We can do that. It is interesting in a business setting when you're not expecting it. And I do find the virtual sale to be a little interesting, right? You're in my home. You're in my home. I can hear my dog snoring like right behind me. Like I'm in a very happy place right now in my home. So there is something oddly intimate in some way about a virtual sale because you're here with me, right? And I I smell the smells, my candle burning, my things like that. It's not, so when I'm in work mode, yes, I'm in my office, I'm in this mode. But if you come into my space and are misbehaving, it's really hard. It's like, I I welcomed you into my space. That's very hurtful. Like we're not going to do that anymore. And it felt even more violating, I think, when I was getting that attention, that like two week period I mentioned where I was not doing well. But I was like, what is happening? It's like, oh, you're in my spot. So how do I distance that? And it's the not all business is good business. It's finding ways to be a bit more, um, a bit generous about like, hey, I, mm-hmm. I think you said something that I didn't quite understand what you meant by that. Oh, because I know you would never say that. Right. And just be like kind and generous. Like, Hey, I'm giving you a door. Feel free to take the door. Okay. Take that one out. We'll get back to this conversation. And it's a way to kind of protect me in my safe space as well as keeping them safe too. Cause usually when you call people out on it, not everyone, people are like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have a, a nice light way to, to wrap up that little piece that we were talking about. My, my son who he's behind me, he's actually eight now. So he's giant. Um, but I can remember, you know, way back in the day when we used to use Skype to communicate, being on a Skype meeting, having my little nursing cover on and nursing my son. And then he pops his head up and he's like looking in the camera and everybody turns red and got mortified. That was like a moment of my life. I was was completely on the other end. And you know, it's like, this is who I am. Like, I mean, this is what happens. Right. And so tell us, you've had a very, very dynamic personal as well as professional career and life. What is one thing that has impacted the way you lead personally or professionally? No one's asked me that before. Access to mentors. Mm. That would be it. If I have a, a question, a concern, or just a thought that I just need someone to listen to while I process through it, I have a host of mentors I seek out. Whether they're the co-authors in our book, whether it is former leaders, um, all sorts of people. I think when I have strong people to lean on, that even if I'm processed, I've called a few who have been like, I don't think I need advice, but I do need to process it. And if you hear any red flags, can you let me know? Mm. And then I typically don't like to be told what to do. So I like having the option of like, don't just like, I'm not here for advice. But if I say something that's like, oh, I didn't like the way you said that. I had one mentor, a friend. A lot of people are friends too. It's, you know, peer mentor kind of thing. 
when I was saying something, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. She said, we, she was in listen mode. And she was, we, anytime I said it, I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And that little pivot, because what was freaking me out was I was feeling the weight of it all on my shoulders. And that quick reminder of like, mm. nope, it's all of you together. We, I was like, ah, oh, thank you. And that made me better the next day when I showed up to work, reminding myself mm. of I'm not alone. We're doing this together. And I'm not, mm. yeah, I'm just not alone doing it, whether I'm outside of work or even inside. It's that having people to lean on is really important to me. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Having a tribe of mentors, that is a, a fantastic Thing to have yourself surrounded with as a leader. I call them my mini board of directors, right? I have those people, their personal connections, professional connections, and they're the ones who can call me on my stuff and say, yeah, Wesley, that's not a good idea. You're too much in your head. Or wow, that's fantastic. You should elevate. You should do this more. And so as leaders, we have to get out of our head. If we just sit in an ivory tower and think that all of our ideas and thoughts are the best ones, we will ultimately fail and burn out. And yeah. that burnout is real. And when you get to that place of burnout, you don't want to do what you love doing anymore. And so it's terrible. Well, and you just mentioned Ivory Tower. I think that's a common mistake I see among other leaders of thinking that you're there alone. You're the top. You're here. What got you there? It was people. It was a lot of people. So don't think you get to wherever you think you're getting and all of a sudden you're alone. Like it's not... You're just moving around a table, you know, center of the table, head of the table, right hand to the table, like you're moving around, but that table is still fully circling there. I don't think of things as hierarchy. I also work in tiny startups, so everyone kind of owns their part of the business. And so to me, it really is very flat. Like we're just, we're circling, finding new seats at the same table. Do not forget those other people because that's exactly how you got there. I have a saying that someone helped me get to where I am today. And so I have a responsibility to reach back and pull somebody else up. So a lot of people are like, I get all these requests. Everybody wants to be mentored and they want this and this and that. And obviously I can't do it for everyone for free. But if there is someone who reaches out to me and I make a connection with them, like I can look on their LinkedIn, I can check out what they are doing. And I can really see, I will absolutely open up my calendar and say, hey, yeah, sure, let's meet. Because at the end of the day, somebody did that for me. And I didn't get here by just being amazing on my own. And so actually looking outside of your bubble and seeking out mentorship or help, as well as giving back, that makes you a whole person. That makes you a whole leader. And it allows you to, again, you don't hit the brick wall. You don't feel like you're burnt out. You don't start not liking your job, your team, your company, all the things. And it really helps you to really go to new heights. Absolutely. Yeah. But we're just trying to fend off that uh-oh moment. We've all had it in orgs that we don't like, but if you're in a place that you are happy, you are liking it, your job is to, is to hold on. Servant leadership, very important, but fend off that uh-oh where those mistakes have gone too far, The you know where you've hit a point where you feel like you can't really come back. You can come back, but we'll many times lie to ourselves and create a scenario where you have to leave. We don't want to leave. We have a great opportunity in front of us. We want to see it through. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, your talent, and your expertise. What is the one best way that someone can reach out to you if they're interested in connecting? Ooh, LinkedIn. Yep. And I'm Lori Dunn. My URL is slash in slash the Lori Dunn. Because there's another Lori Dunn out there. So I'm <laughs> the Lori Dunn. Yeah, I'm the Lori Dunn. There you go. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you so much, Lori. This has been a fantastic conversation. And no matter when you listen to this podcast, if it's in March or October of a year, this is a special, special feature for Women in Sales Month. And I thank you again for sharing your expertise with us today, Lori. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in everything that you do, focus on transforming your sales. Until next time.